Thank you. Welcome to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Monica Braz. Monica is the Director of Marketing and Strategic Initiatives with BBB, serving Western Ontario. Crowdfunding campaigns help raise funds for many causes. This morning, we'll talk about when the campaign might actually be a cause for concern. Weather is always a little iffy in April when it comes to outdoor activities. George Geeson of Porky's Barbecue, Hearth and Spa will join us later with ideas that might get you fired up about the coming season. Every product you purchase, every item you use, carries a label with information about ingredients and safety precautions. The information on chemical products are regulated in almost any country where they're sold. Our first guest this morning is Mike Harvey, president of NextReg Compliance Incorporated, a London company that helps many other companies meet those compliance regulations. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thanks very much, Monica. I'm happy to be here. So, Mike, maybe you can give us a little bit of a brief description about what NextReg does. Certainly. So, NextReg is a consulting firm based in London that services the chemical industry by providing regulatory compliance documentation and guidance. We provide safety data sheets and labeling requirements for industrial and consumer chemical products, as well as product registrations with the applicable government agencies. So, Mike, what, what types of businesses then access your services? Uh, well, Nextrake's clients uh, include chemical manufacturers, chemical distributors, retail, and specific governments. Um, your website has a lot of information on it regarding COVID-19 legislation. So, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of companies that had to scramble to maybe um, change a few things once these, um, you know, once this legislation came out. How has your company been involved in that rush, for example, to help sanitizing products get distributed and that everything was labeled correctly? Right. And that's an excellent question. Uh, as uh, next reg uh, at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, uh, NextReg recognized that sanitizer products would be an area of rapid growth for the chemical industry. Uh, so we quickly put together a marketing initiative and applied resources, uh, internal resources, to meet an emerging demand for sanitizer regu- registrations in Canada and the United States. Our team was able to assist many companies in bringing their new sanitizer products to market. And many of these companies uh, did not previously have any sanitizer products in the marketplace. So that was significant. So you work with uh, chemical companies uh, in, in the labeling. Does Next Reg test or analyze the products in the process of developing these compliant labels, Mike? NextReg does not test or analyze the products that our clients wish to have uh, us determine uh, product compliance. Uh, we rely on the chemical and physical properties of the product formulation provided by our clients to con- create compliance documentation. Uh, it, it's just uh, we, as far as our clients go, like it, it's it's the onus is on them to provide us with everything that we need to complete the documents. You also really support, you know, a lot of different companies in different locations. So how do you manage to stay current with all these regulations worldwide? NextReg assists clients with interpretations of the regulations. So our our software can can create compliant documents across the world in nearly every language. 
so I guess I'll give you an example. For instance, the client might request an EU English document and need documents that are compliant in France, Spain, Italy, Germany, and Denmark. And we would provide, our software would help us provide compliance for all of those countries in the target languages. You Obviously, that's pretty awesome that you can support so many different languages. Are there any like universally recognized hazards? And so, you know, obviously then universally rec recognized symbols or things that make it a little bit uniform across the world, because you would really have the visibility into that. Right. So, and this is where it becomes a gray area in compliance, because as you might imagine, every single jurisdiction has their own rules and regulations. So what, what happened uh, many years ago is that uh, a globally harmonized system or GHS of classification for industrial and consumer pr chemical products was brought forward um, on the international stage, like at the UN and uh, many countries you know, adopted this system, including Canada and the United States. But um, the and the the thing with this is, you might guess, the intention with this is to harmonize language and symbols on documents and labeling. But because the GHS is a building block system of hazards, uh, and by that I mean different jurisdictions can pick and choose what level of compliance they're going to uh, enforce. Uh, so, for instance, there might be four building blocks in a specific hazard criteria, and a country might only adopt three versus another country adopting all four. So that's what building block means in this context. And there are often significant differences that require separate documents when providing compliance across several jurisdictions. So, Mike, what size of companies do you usually support? So Nextreg's clients range from very small firms that might have one or two products to Fortune 500 companies that have an international presence and thousands of products. Uh, we see, and like I mentioned, it's just these companies are entering sometimes into a web of regulatory red tape. <laughs> so they need help uh, from the very small mom and pop shops to the gigantic international companies. Uh, so they would use Nextreg as uh, a, 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 a support for their current regulatory team. How do companies and small businesses then access Nextreg services, Mike? So Nextreg uh, our website, uh, we we spend a lot on uh, marketing and our, our website, and, and that is where we see a lot of companies finding us. Uh, we, we run regular webinars that can be accessed through our website at www.nextreg.com. How did a company with such a unique niche uh, get established here in London, Ontario? It's an it's a interesting question because it was... Um, uh, we, we were founded in 2005 by uh, a couple of uh, London boys. <laughs> so uh, myself and uh, uh, my business partner, Mike Moffat. Um, and uh, you might know Mike Moffat. He's uh, um, very, very uh, involved in radio and, uh, <laughs> and TV yes. around mm -hmm. the area. So, yeah, so it was, uh, it was the two of us. And, and uh, we, uh, we came up with the idea because I had a background in, in this type of work. So uh, uh, we, we saw a niche there and uh, ended up uh, surviving our first couple of years uh, working from home. 
So I think that uh, made it a lot easier for me, at least, to work from home now. <laughs> Nextreg was able to pivot during the, the, the pandemic back in March to uh, fully remote. So we have, uh, uh, we have everyone working from their home offices <laughs> currently, so. Well, Mike, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, A, explain to us a little bit about what Nextreg does, and uh, B, bring us up to date on some of the, the uh, uh, regulations that are uh, out there for businesses to comply with. Thanks very much for your time, Mike. Thanks so much, Jim. We've been talking with Mike Harvey, who's the president of Nextreg Compliance, Inc., an accredited business with the BEB supporting trust in the marketplace. What's new for your barbecue? Next here on Ask BBB. Welcome back to Ask BBB, where accredited businesses provide useful information so that consumers are better informed about purchases they're making and services they're contracting. I'm Jim Swan with co-host Monica Braz, who is the Director of Marketing and Strategic Initiatives with BBB. And this morning, we are outdoors. We're joined now by George Geeson of Porky's Barbecue Hearth and Spa. Good morning and welcome to ISBBB, George. Hey, good morning, Monica. Good morning, Jim. So, George, let's talk about demand for these great outdoor areas that everyone's probably thinking about. Have you noticed an increase in demand for barbecues and other outdoor living appliances this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, every spring has its um, uniqueness, whether it's... Uh, you know, um, I remember about five years ago, we had a super early spring where March was gorgeous. So all of a sudden our sales were triple. And obviously we're going through our second round of uh, of uh, COVID pandemic and shortages. So uh, everything, every year seems to have a different um, flavor to it. Inventory levels are pretty good right now. Although some of our, our models and SKUs have already been discontinued for the year. So they'll send us a note saying this SKU will not be available for 2021 due to shortage of uh, raw materials and supplies. So uh, starting to creep in a little bit already, even though it's early. So if we're firing up the barbecue that we have at home for the first time this year, what are some of the problems that we may encounter and you know, potentially we may need some supplies to, to address some of those issues. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to, to start with cleaning. So um, most barbecues, the guts of them can be, be removed without any tools, like minus the burners. But let's say your cook grills, below your cook grills is something, everybody has a different patented name for it, but it might be a flavor wave or a flavorizer bars or some kind of a deflector. And that sits on top of the burners between the cook grills and the burners. Those are usually pretty nasty and rusty. And if you clean them out and then you'll get down into the bottom tub of the barbecue where everything else uh, lands and you'll even have probably a drip tray below that. So if you start by cleaning all that out, that'll expose any issues like holes or replacement parts needed. Um, it's also a good time then once you have that all cleaned out is to fire up the barbecue before you put any of that back in again gives you a really good visual of what's going on there. If things don't look even, if the color of the flame looks off, if it looks really orange, if it's shooting out the control panel instead of out burners, that's a sign of a problem like spiders. So I always recommend firing it up with all that removed. And then you can literally anybody that um, knows what a flame should look like will, uh, will be able to recognize whether it's working properly or not. 
And then our, our repair parts uh, available for most barbecues, George? Obviously, uh, I'm a little biased here. We sell um, North American brand barbecues, which means we also not only carry the barbecues, but the parts. Uh, it can be frustrating when you have a customer that, you know, not, not by no fault of their own, they may have bought something that doesn't have that kind of support. There's hundreds of manufacturers out there and it's impossible for us to stock parts for, um, for any given grill. So at the end of the day, if, if someone has a Burrell King and it's 30 years old, we'll have the parts for it. If someone has a Weber and it's 35 years old, we'll have the parts for it. So, um, uh, and then other brands that kind of come and go. And so the worst part of it is that someone leaves my shop and they're kind of mad. They're mad at me because I wasn't able to provide them with the service or parts. And, and I don't know what, what advice I have, except for maybe your next grill, get something that has, has uh, the ability to service it and get parts for. So George, you know, thinking about parts versus buying a new barbecue, like at what, like how, how do we help people make the decision about, do you just replace certain parts or do you just really consider, you know, maybe getting a new barbecue with some added features if your barbecue is a little bit older? Yeah. It'd be like going to your automotive garage and your mechanic saying, listen, if I were you, I wouldn't dump any more money into this car. It's time to get a new car. Or they might say, Hey, this, this brand of car, this model was always reliable for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars. We can get you back on the road and you're going to get many more years out of it. It's always a judgment call. And oftentimes the grills that we see and sell here, we'll, we'll have them already on file. We'll say, it looks like your barbecue is about 13 years old. So you're probably at the point where you could let this one go, you know, and, and get and replace it and get it new or for three or $400, you can bring it back to speed again. Just continuing with that car analogy, when we do, we decide we're going to have a new car, then there are all kinds of options available. Is that true with uh, barbecues as well? And what are some of the most popular options that we might uh, elect? Probably the first thing I always, <laughs> so this happens a lot when I start a conversation, whether it's a hot tub or whether it's barbecue, people are like, listen, I don't need a lot of bells and whistles. We're pretty, we're pretty uh, clean people. We just like the grill stuff. Or someone might say, uh, this is this is part of my hobby. I love to cook. I would like a rotisserie kit. Uh, last time we had a power outage, we used a side burner and it was handy. Uh, another big one is called a sear station. So sear station can mean a few different things from different manufacturers. But mostly what it's about is taking a steak and, and usually pre-searing it. Some people will sear afterwards, but that's another topic that's more of a cooking topic but uh searing is in essence to lock in the juices so that during the cooking process we don't lose all of the natural uh, juices and flavors so sear stations are available almost on every brand everybody has every manufacturer has a, has a slight different twist on it some are infrared some are just additional burners but usually it involves an intense spot in the barbecue with an extra intense amount of heat for searing either uh steaks mostly but also sometimes burgers too. So what about outdoor pizzas? So can we can we talk a little bit about stone grills for pizzas? Pizzas are very popular on the grill. Um, everybody has probably a pizza stone that they've gotten at some point in time for either the oven. Those are usually safe to use on the barbecue. Preheating your barbecue a, a lot helps a bit and creating a little bit of mass in the upper so even if you got a stone and you put an extra stone on the bun rack for example uh then you put your pizza stone below 
uh, you preheat it nicely, you add your, you add your pizza, any type of a barbecue that can withstand or hold or reflect some heat from the top down is going to give you a little bit better results. Uh, that's why uh, barbecues like the Big Green Egg and Kamado Joe and, and the Burl King Cake, a lot of those grills store heat in the upper chamber. So when you do close the lid on your pizza, you're cooking it from all directions because cooking from the bottom only isn't how uh, a true pizza oven works. It works from all directions. So yeah, so they're very popular, but just doing a grill stone only uh, can be helped and fortified a little bit by adding some kind of mass, whether it's a, a Kamado style barbecue or even just putting the, uh, I, I, I saw pieces of soapstone here that people will just literally set on the top of the bun rack and it sits, it sits over top of, hovers over top of the pizza and it helps refract heat back down on the top of the pizza because the last thing we need is the bottom of the pizza to get overcooked and the top hasn't even you know begun to uh, to cook yet so yeah very popular thing to do on the barbecue george we want to thank you very much for your time here this morning and i'm sure that a lot of us are looking forward to spending time outdoors uh, cooking thanks again for your time thanks jim thanks monica george geeson is the owner of porky's barbecue hearth and Spa, an accredited business with the BBB with an A-plus rating. Search the BBB directory under barbecue supplies, hot tubs, or fireplaces. Crowdfunding answers urgent needs. And next, we'll bring you some answers to crowdfunding questions. And welcome back to the final portion of Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Monica Braz. Monica, the cyber world has changed just about every aspect of our lives from how we shop to how we keep in touch with family. And it's also changed how we help one another in times of crisis. Crowdfunding is raising money to help people whose livelihoods have been affected, perhaps by the coronavirus cancellations and closures. Crowdfunding makes supporting a good cause easier than ever before. I think I hear a but coming here. That's right. But crowdfunding platforms are used to deceive donors and steal money for personal use as well. Or the money can be raised with the best of intentions, but not end up being used for the stated purpose. So, Monica, what should we know about donating to a crowdfunding cause? BBB has some tips that help answer that question, and it starts with be cautious and do your research. Okay, and what are some of the other suggestions that are included in that list of tips from BBB? Go with what you know. If it's a charity, you can look them up. If it's for an individual, it's a little bit harder. So donate to someone you already know. And if the appeal comes in the wake of a tragedy, be careful, because con artists can use pictures of victims to make you believe that it's actually legitimate. Is crowdfunding conducted on one site or are there there different platforms? There are many different platforms, and some do a better job than others of reviewing projects and postings. So part of your research is to read up on the website's rules, regulations, and procedures. For instance, some sites hold the funds and distribute them directly to the identified victim of the tragedy. Other sites rely on the person who created the post to follow through and provide the assistance that is promised. It's a red flag if the description of how the funds will be used is vague. There should be a clear explanation of how funds will be used and how it will benefit. Yeah. You know, a lot of these crowdfunding campaigns come with a really high emotional appeal. 
Yes. And when something touches your heart, you might not see everything clearly. So take a moment. Scammers will use urgency, very dramatic stories, and often heart-wrenching images. So, so when you make that donation, you should use the same level of caution that you would with any other online transaction, I guess. Absolutely. Make sure the website is secure and that there's a privacy policy in place. Look for information about how they're going to share your name and email and other personal information. Read the fine print. It should outline under what conditions the donation will be refunded. And there should be details on how the site handles credit card and administration fees. And are, are these donations tax deductible? In general, donations to an individual will not get you a tax credit. If it is a charity, you will want to check to see if they can issue you a tax receipt. And that's just one question you might have. You can find all of these tips and more complete information at bbb.org. And Monica, that's uh, all of our time for Ask BBB this week. You can contact us anytime on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at BBBWesternONT. If you have a question or a guest suggestion, tweet us at hashtag BBB. Thanks for listening this morning. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Monica Braz. Remember, ask BBB. And start with trust.